Chapter 1. In the Cachot François Soubirou gets up in the dark. It is just six. Long ago he lost possession of the silver watch, which was a wedding present from his clever sister-in-law, Bernard Castero. The ticket for it, as well as the tickets for other poor little treasures issued by the municipal pawn brokerage, had lapsed the autumn before. Soubirou knows that it is six, even though the chimes of the parish church of Saint-Pierre had not yet rung for early mass. The poor have the time in their bones. Without dial or bell they know what hour has struck, for the poor are always afraid of being late. The man gropes for his wooden shoes, but he holds them in his hand so as to make no noise. Barefoot he stands on the icy stone floor and listens to the various breathings of the sleeping members of his family. It is a strange music which weighs upon his heart. Six human beings share the room. He and Louise have managed to keep their good wedding bed, witness of a once hopeful start in life. But the two adolescent girls, Bernadette and Marie, must sleep on a hard enough couch. The youngest two, finally, Jean-Marie and Justin, are bedded by their mother on a sack of straw, which she rolls up by day. François Soubirou, who still does not stir from his place, casts a glance at the open hearth. It is really not a proper hearth, but a crude fireplace improvised by the stonemason André Sajou, owner of this magnificent dwelling, for his tenants. Under the ashes glimmer and crackle remains of fresh branches too wet to burn up. Now and then a pale gleam quivers, but the man lacks the energy to stir the remnants of the fire. He turns his glance to the windows and watches the night turn grey beyond. Therewith his deep discomfort turns into angry bitterness. A curse trembles on his lips. Soubirou is a strange fellow. What annoys him more than this wretched room is the two barred windows, one larger, one smaller, these two abject squinting eyes turned on the filthy yard of the cachot, where the dunghill of the whole neighborhood stinks to heaven. For he is, after all, no vagabond or rag-picker, but an honest-to-God miller, and even mill owner, and so, in his way, as good a man as Monsieur de Lafitte with his big sawmill. The bully mill below Chateau Fort could stand comparison with any mill for miles and miles around. Even the Escobet mill at arquisac les angles was not bad at all. The old Bondeau mill was nothing to be proud of, yet it was a mill. Was it perhaps the fault of the good miller Soubirou that the Lapaca brook, which used to turn the wheels, had been dry for years? or that the price of grain had risen, or that there were more and more people out of work. God was responsible, if you liked, or the emperor, or the prefect, or the devil knows who. Not a decent man like François Soubirou, even though he likes an occasional glass and an occasional game of cards at the inn. Guilty or not, what is the difference? There he is with his family in the cachot. And the cachot in the Rue des Petites Fossés is really not a dwelling at all, but the former town jail. The walls sweat with moisture, fungi crouch in the cracks, the boards are warped, bread mildews in an hour. In summer one roasts, in winter one freezes. It is for this reason that several years ago Monsieur Lacadet, mayor of Lourdes, ordered the cachot to be abandoned, and the vagabonds and evildoers to be housed in the building of the city gate of Bau by reason of the emphatically better hygienic conditions there but the conditions in the cachot are good enough for the Soubirou family. We have the proof, the former miller reflects.
He had heard Bernadette's lungs hissing and whistling again half the night. This thought makes him feel so lamentably sorry for himself that he is absolutely determined to creep back into bed and go on sleeping. But this cowardly retreat from reality is barred to him, since in the meantime Mother Subiru has arisen also. She is a woman of thirty-five or six, but looks fifty. She busies herself with the fire at once, blows the sparks out of the ashes, heaps on them smoking straw, shavings, and a few dry branches, and finally hangs the copper kettle over the new flames. Subiru regards his wife's silent activity with a